Hello and welcome to the Travelling Ergonomist podcast. I'm your host, Kirsty Angra, and my job as an ergonomics consultant is to educate people on how to get their bodies into neutral postures. And in today's professional world, with the prominence of agile and remote working, ergonomics is more important than ever. So sit back, relax, and let's navigate the workplace together. Anne-Marie from the International Wellbuilding Institute for coming onto the podcast today. We open up our conversation around the well-building standard, what it is and how it can benefit businesses. She outlines the 10 protocols we can use to drive the discussion around sustainability and health. And we also talk about what to think about even when you're a small business with a smaller budget. Who should be the people around the table making decisions about the workplace and in particular about health and sustainability? And the two things that embody the future of the workplace for Anne-Marie. I really hope you enjoy. So my name's Anne-Marie. I'm actually the Director of Operations for the International Well-Building Institute, which is referred to as the IWBI. I've been the Director of Operations since the back end of 2015. Um, and that means that I'm basically involved in the day-to-day happenings of sort of the growth of the well-building standard across Europe. Um, just recently added on the MENA region, so Middle East, North Africa. And basically our job is to spread the news around the well-building standard and to talk to people who are interested in sort of understanding the movement of health, not only in real estate, but just the basic trend of employees and um, occupants of buildings really understanding the need to be healthy and how, how we can use real estate to sort of push that discussion. Um, before I joined the IWBI, I was with a company called Arup. I was the head of sustainability for, again, the Europe, Middle East, North Africa region, and that was for about 11 years. Wow. And, yeah, and it's just been a, a fabulous transition to be able to look at what we're calling uh, the second wave of sustainability, which is really transforming sustainable buildings into the next wave, which is healthy buildings. I'm interested about that because I feel like someone like you has been talking about and, you know, researching sustainability for quite some time now, but I feel that only in the last couple of years has it kind of gone out to the rest of us and we're starting to get interested in it. And have, have you noticed that as well? Has it, always, has it always been quite a big subject in your mind? Um, sustainability or health? Sustainability to start with. Yeah. Well, I do agree that it's taken years. I mean, my first introduction into sustainability was in 1997. And when I started exploring the concepts of sustainability as an architect, because that's my, my background, I couldn't imagine that people would design buildings that didn't have a, a light impact on the environment. And it's really, it's really quite sad to think it's taken so many years for it to become into mm-hmm. the mainstream of conversation. But I think it's it's like most things in the world. People are so used to doing things the way that they're they've been trained without any real purpose about what the outcome is. And, and even today, most architectural practices do not have a, a huge educational platform around sustainability. It's definitely miles ahead of of uh, since I was in school. But in in general, it's not the de facto way that we're designing buildings. And that, and that is a problem. We, we need to be thinking, um, especially coming out of the climate change um, work that's been done 
here in London and the um, the marches that we've had around trying to raise awareness, it's we're not where we need to be. That's for sure. And I think it's it's great to hear that you feel like it's become a spotlight discussion, but it's definitely taken too long to get here. I agree. Absolutely. I, I kind of think that about the health side of it as well, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, we can we can also say that it's quite shocking uh, to think that we're only now focusing on the people that occupy our buildings. I mean, that's <laughs> that's also shocking. Um, but when you really think about it, um, for many years, what was most important about real estate was how many people we could actually get into a building. You know, it was all about density, 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 driving density, and and looking at how our buildings can make money for us never really taking into into our consciousness like what is the impact of these buildings and what is the impact of spending upwards of 90% of our time inside buildings because as you can imagine you know human beings weren't designed to be inside you know four walls and a ceiling for 90% of their day so to ask the question like our ceo did about 12 years ago was you know how, what is the medical impact? What's the, what's the physical and mental impact on the human condition from being inside buildings for this amount of time? And it, it was, it was really quite, um, quite amazing to think that that question hadn't been asked before. And the, the second thing that was so outrageous about it is that it wasn't asked within the confines of a medical, medical discussion. So there was never um, a medical doctor invited to the table when, when we were talking about design mm-hmm. guidelines to say, well, actually, if, if you really could start from scratch and we know what the human body needs to survive and to grow and to be happy and inspired, how come we never asked that question and understood from the context of the medical side and the design side? So I think it's been, again, too late, late coming, but I think incredibly important discussion. Absolutely. I I find it fascinating as well. So I'm in the field of ergonomics and have been for the last few years now since university. And ergonomics is literally how humans interact with their environment. That's that's the subject of ergonomics. So it's fascinating to me that we're we've got the spotlight on health in the workplace and wellness in the workplace now when ergonomists have kind have kind of been researching that concept for the last few decades. Absolutely. You guys have been like the silent soldiers that are actually going in there and trying to actually give people recommendations about posture. And, and, you know, when you think about the value that that is, and it's unfortunate that it hasn't gotten the type of spotlight that it needs. Yeah, I'm glad that now with the sort of focus that we have on movement and how important it is for people to move their bodies and to be sitting in appropriate posture positions, that we can sort of highlight the importance of the work that you all do. Absolutely. No, I think so. I think this is the well movement is a great movement. And I think if ergonomics can be part of that, then it's only a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So can you actually, for those who may not know what the well strategy is or or, or what well is, would you mind giving us some more details on that? Yeah, sure. So well is really the first tool that global organizations can actually use to advance health and well-being for their people within their real estate. And I think the two really important facts like we've just touched upon is people in real estate. And that's because well is really the first building specific rating tool that's designed with human health at the core of its existence. 
And real estate is often identified as like the missing link when you talk to human resource folks, when they define their wellness strategies. They've never thought about real estate. They're always thinking about, oh, well, we need to give folks uh, gym memberships. We need to help them understand how they can do smoking cessation programs. But we've never actually said, well, how do we tie real estate back to the people that actually occupy the building? Yes. So I think well really becomes that, that first trigger to bridge the silo across really important company-wide businesses, which are HR, corporate real estate, facilities management, and finance. And well becomes that, that tool that allows those people to talk to each other and try and come to, um, to come to an agreement that maximizes their real estate, not on a cost-benefit ratio, but on a human ratio. So I think that's really, for the, for the sort of short discussion, that's really what well is. And, and it, it defines itself by 10 categories in, in design, which really helps understand, like, how does an architect or an engineer actually start this discussion? And, and what can they do when they're thinking about designing a building? So we have 10 really interesting concepts that help us understand how we can do that. I think it, it is really important to get into the kind of detail that if, if folks are looking at improving their environment, what they really want to do is focus on these 10 concepts. So the first one is air. How do we promote the really best quality of air? How do we promote the second concept, which is water? And that's because hydration is like a key component of well, because most people, I think 82% is the recent statistic, are actually very dehydrated. So how do we start making water a focus of our built environment and also help encourage a water quality testing protocol that's really super, super high. Um, we also dig into nourishment, which is a very unique building rating system focus for the first time. And it's really trying to talk about the type and quality of food that we allow in our work environment to try and change people's habits and influence the really good behavior around health, healthy eating. Okay. There's a huge focus on light. Um, talking about trying to balance our circadian rhythms by understanding that being inside, indoors all day without um, the focus of natural light is really harmful to our circadian rhythm. We talk about movement, which is really familiar for you, which is how we get people moving around a space and also sitting in the proper um, seating environment. And then we look at things that are very familiar to the design discussion, like thermal comfort, sound, material selection. And then the last two categories, which I think are really the hallmark of well, is mind and community, where we really start to dig into this sort of human interest in being associated with nature and having biophilic environments, which is, is something that I think will, will be a very strong buzzword coming out of this movement, which is how we really bring people back to be connected with nature. And the last one is community, which really holds most of the HR protocols that, that I think are really critical to keeping um, a community sense of people balanced and having the right amount of time off, having the right amount of support in the workplace for stressful environments. And, and that's where our HR component kicks in. Okay. Wow. Amazing. Amazing protocols there. I really love all 10 of them. How were, how were they developed? How did you come up with those specific 10 Oh, well, we, we probably had a short list of 42, and that was during a, a research period of, of 2000, between 2007 and 2014 when we worked with folks from the Columbia Medical School, the Cleveland Clinic, the Mayo Clinic, and 
alongside that groups of architects and engineers and um, HR directors. So trying to get those two distinct groups to start to work together. And out of that came the initial shortlist of 42 main concepts. And then we had to sort of try and compartmentalize them and drill them down. And 10 is, is the final well version two uh, list of concepts that we think are absolutely critical to the built environment in terms of employing and deploying health. And out of those 10, what do you think businesses are not so great at the moment? Or is it all 10 that we're, we're not doing well? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, well, I think we are, we're learning that there's there's quite a bit of, of frustration in workplace right now. I would say that the things that that definitely lead to a lot of human stress level at work, um, one that we probably don't always think about is sound. So acoustic issues inside the workplace are really causing a lot of stress. And that's because we have typically moved people into open, open work environments. And the sort of acoustic balance of being in those environments has not been totally thought through. So what we are now seeing is that with Well, we're looking to design spaces that have variations in acoustic performance. So if you're look if you're the kind of person that needs to work in a really buzzy environment and you feel that's where you're most productive, then you can work in that environment. But we also need to find environments that give people a little bit more peaceful, quiet, almost like a do not disturb environment because people really need to be to have the variation because some people just don't like to be in those environments where they're often disturbed or um, disengage from what they're doing. So what we're finding here in the acoustic area is that choice is, is the optimum environment, giving people variations of acoustic benefit. Okay. Uh, the second area that I think is something that companies will struggle with is access to nature. I think uh, the built environment has gone through periods where we're trying to cut costs for so many years that people have really reduced the amount of like natural environment indoors. It was usually conceived as like a cost issue. Like why would we have planting and trees indoors if we need to have someone to take care of it? But now we're seeing that actually people respond really well to being inside a natural environment. So we're starting to see plants and nature coming back into the environment, which is fabulous. And that goes back to that biophilic description, which I think is going to be a really big topic going forward. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Coming back to sound, you know, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the, the trend that I'm seeing is when I walk into new workplaces is that the ceilings are completely overexposed and there's, you know, there's no real cover. So all the electrics and wires as part of the design feature are showing and there's nothing acoustically beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, it looks really cool, but it might not be actually working to the benefit that, you know, that provides the employee with that sort of comfortable environment. And, and the statistics lately are crazy. If, if someone gets interrupted during their workday, it takes something like 27 minutes for them to get back to their original task. So when you think about how many times a day you're either overhearing a conversation or someone is interrupting you because you're in an open plan environment, think about the long-term you know, lost time that, that 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 person is actually getting affected from. Absolutely. No, I think you're right. We, we definitely need specific spaces for specific types of work. You know, I when I walk into an office, I thrive off of meeting new people and having conversations with people. But it, when I'm actually doing my work and, you know, writing reports or presentations, taking phone calls, I'd certainly have to be in a quiet environment exactly. and not distracted. Exactly. 
And that, that's the key. I think choice is one of the big words that are coming out from what we've decided is an important variation of space inside the environment. So choice in terms of thermal comfort, choice in terms of acoustics, choice in terms of food. So I think that's what we're, we're definitely seeing that well is having a huge impact in allowing people to think differently about what that workplace looks like. And if you think about, you know, organizations are always seeking to attract and retain the best quality employees. They want to maximize their important, their performance and their productivity. So the workplace has become the sort of brand of the company. It, it's the view into the organization's values. So I think when we're looking for, for folks who want to look for companies that reflect their own values, health is one of those values that has to be at the front and the center of the workplace that they're, they're offering for their staff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm curious to know then, I, from my experience, um, it's usually the bigger businesses, the businesses that have the large budgets that would um, interact with something like Well or a health and wellness program. How do we get the smaller businesses, you know, maybe 50 people to 100 people, how do we get them involved in this kind of movement? Well, I think there's a, there's quite a few opportunities that I think do not need to be cost sensitive. And I think that's really a really important message out there is that you don't need to be thinking that this is a huge investment because what can be done across all of these projects are the sort of low hanging fruit. So for example, just as simple as changing your food offering, most companies today have some sort of food offering. And if they are a small company, just encouraging people to make better choices around food. So something as simple as making sure that there's a fruit and vegetable bowl in an office every day, Mm -hmm. something as simple as that can make a huge long-term habit change because what happens is people start getting used to this offering in the office place. They end up taking that offer outside back to home. So they're used to now having a, making the healthy choice, the easier choice. And that's what we're trying to do here. So that's one that's a very easy choice to make. The second one is the biophilic impact, trying to really understand where you can bring nature in, giving people more views to the outside, Um, being able to look at your lighting systems. I mean, circadian lighting choices are the same as a regular lighting choice in terms of specification. It's just looking for the right selection of product. Okay. So most of these products don't need to be more expensive, but they need to be thought about before they get purchased. And I think that's the big message to folks is think about things like access to daylight, helping folks make make healthier choices with food, being under being really smart about people moving around their space. Um, and I'm I'm sure you know about this more than me, but like the number one health insurance claim from most companies is musculoskeletal issues. So yeah. if, we, if we can just encourage people to stand, to, to move away from sitting all day long, to actually having access to different work environments, even, even if it means that they just stand up and move into you know, a dining area with a, with a large table so they can find a different place to move and make sure that the seating is appropriate for the task that they're doing. You touched on a great point there where we need to make better decisions at the beginning of these projects and going into workplace change. Um, how, or who are the types of people we should be integrating with to, to be able to make that change? Well, I definitely think 
HR is critical, and they've been left out of a lot of these discussions. I mean, it's really rare that you start to hear that the HR director is actually sitting at a meeting for a new space, and that's shocking yeah. because they're the, they're the ones that know the cost of of health issues in the business. So why would not why would they not be invited into this discussion? So I think you need to have HR at the table. You need to also have you need to have a, an architect or an interior designer that's really focused on selecting materials that don't off-gas. You know, we talk about this whole problem with outdoor air quality, but actually the indoor air quality can be five to ten times worse than outdoor air quality. And that's because we've spent years sealing buildings because they're more energy efficient if they're sealed, meaning that there's no operable windows. And then what we've done is sort of bought material like carpets and and flooring and furniture without really understanding the sort of chemical components of those materials. So now you're in a sealed environment. The furniture is off-gassing with God knows what. And all of a sudden, this this is stuff that we're breathing in all day long. So having an architect or an interior designer at the table who's really starting to understand the impacts of sourcing healthy materials from day one is going to cut down the problems that you have on air and, and the kind of ventilation that you might need inside your space. So that if you think about it, the mechanical system has a huge amount of work just trying to clear, clean the outdoor air that's coming in from these polluted environments. But if we could at least start off by making sure that the indoor environment is filled with materials that don't off-gas horrible chemicals, then we're making that job even easier. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so obviously the, the mechanical folks need to be at the table. Facilities management, another group that always gets left out of the discussion. If you're starting to create and think about creating and designing healthy environments, then you need facilities management there because the worst thing that you can do is design and create a healthy environment. And then at night, the cleaning crew comes in and sprays you know, all sorts of chemical products all over the really clean material that you've just bought so making sure that there's a there's a line that travels through all of these silos and and I think well is the tool that's been able to do that. Amazing. So have you got any good success stories to tell us about? We're now starting to see now that we're having buildings that have been past their one year post occupancy because that's really the only time you can really do evaluation to understand the impact that these spaces are having on people and and I'm not sure if you're aware, there's a project that was the first well-certified project in Europe, which was actually here in London. No. And yeah, it's called Kundal, and they're a mechanical engineering company that were the first to certify their space. And now they've gone back a year later to look at what the statistics are. And it's just shocking. Like their, their general absentee rates are down by 22%, and they've turned that into a financial metric, and that saved them £90,000 for that year. Wow. Um, staff turnover is down by 27%, which equates for them £122,000. And, mo- you know, and what's really important is like the, the values and the brand of this company have gone from like 38% to 88%. Staff love working there. And these are these are dramatic KPIs, and that's that's only one year on, and only some of the first projects that have now come through that time frame. And and when I have the the joy, you know, the joy of actually going and presenting the well plaque to the spaces that have just certified, I'm I'm overwhelmed by the sense of that this is not just a real estate choice. This was like a personal choice, and the people who've who've actually sought to bring well into their space and to actually have achieved certification 
feel that it's changed their lives. That this is something that they're taking home to their families. And that's where we really believe that well has an incredible opportunity to go beyond the boundaries of real estate, beyond the boundaries of their workplace and actually just transform health. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, those metrics are incredible. Oh. I, hope, I hope that all the businesses that are working with you are getting the same, same kind of metrics. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm really excited to continue hearing more about where it will go because we've just, we've just had huge amounts of buy-in. I mean, this past year, we surpassed 300 million square feet of projects globally. I mean, that's, that's an incredible amount of growth in such a short period of time. And, and we're in, I think, 52 countries globally. Wow. And I think the more that we convince people, especially HR groups, to raise awareness about even something as simple as looking into their health claims, like look in detail at what the health insurance provider that you're spending a lot of money is telling you about your staff. And I think once you start to have that ability to talk about these things openly, when you start realizing that the number one health condition is musculoskeletal issues, somebody should be thinking, well, I need to put a lot more focus into the way that my people move in space, how they're sitting. Are we buying furniture because it looks good, but it doesn't actually do what it's supposed to do? There's a lot of data that's already out there. I think companies, if they spend their time looking at the data that they have, just something as simple as health insurance claim data or absentee issues, like when's the last time a company actually really trying to understand the financial impact of lost days at work. Because if you look at that number and what it means to a business, making changes like bringing plants in or changing the food offering is such an affordable way to try and combat what's probably a really big number, but nobody's really aware of it. (laughs) I think that's part of the problem. I don't know if you've noticed the same is a lot of businesses have a lot of data. We, we capture a lot of data all the time, every day, every week, you know, every year. The problem is we don't know how to read that data and we don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I think that's exactly what the problem is. And, I, and that's why I always, you know, whenever I speak at conferences, I say just find out what you have first of all and then start to unpick that data because I think you'll probably find out that you have a lot of information that you're just not really making the best use of. Um, have you ever read anything by the World Green Building Council back in 2014 had done a really interesting campaign called Better Places for People? And that campaign really started giving people sort of the tools before you bring in something like well. And okay. they were really interesting tools about, how, you know, what information do you have at your disposal as a company that you can start really understanding and then that will help you make decisions about where you need to go next. So we should go check that out. Yeah, I definitely would. It's called Better Places for People, and it's a campaign by the World Green Building Council. Okay, I'll, I'll link that up um, in the descriptions, definitely. Great. So I think my last question for you then is, in terms of, if we take it back to the workplace world, what does the future of workplace look like to you or function like, um, or what, what does it embody for you? <sighs> Well, when I've, when I've gone into some of my, my most successful, you know, when I see the new projects coming through well certification, I think the thing for me that really shifts it is the sort of the natural materials, the view of nature, the, the inside, the outside coming in, the sort of feeling that um, 
that access to being outside is not too far away, whether it's an open window or it's, um, it's just the opportunity to see daylight. That's my, that's what I feel like is, is the future of workplace where you just don't feel like you're inside a box anymore. And I think the the other benefit is, is the ability to have choice. I think those are my, my final bits of, of advice to what that workplace really needs to look like. Brilliant. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you wanted to, to talk about or suggest anything like that? I think we covered quite a few topics there. Yeah, I think we've covered everything. I think the only other topic that I think is interesting is the fact that we are looking at sort of existing buildings. I think well is not just looking at new buildings and existing buildings we realize are some of the biggest portfolio opportunities on the planet. And we, we really feel strongly about being able to address those. So that's something that we are working very seriously on. That's that's so important because I think it's those businesses that probably will benefit the most because they're, they're in buildings that perhaps, you know, particularly London, buildings that were designed decades ago. And exactly. Decades ago. So how do you, how do you change the lighting in, into a building that, yeah, was designed 30 years ago? Exactly. And that's the type of protocols that we're coming up with now is what can you do for a longer period of time? Like we're not looking to certify existing buildings during a new construction program, but like how do we change buildings over a period of time, three to five years, so that every time they make a choice, whether it's replacing their their lighting or changing their windows, that they're making that choice with well in mind so that in in a long period of time, they can achieve well because they're, we're working with their facilities management team to understand whenever you're doing a change in an existing building, how can we make that change meet a well criteria going forward? Absolutely. I like that. Brilliant. Thank you, Kirsty. We'll talk soon. You take care. Bye. Bye-bye now. Bye.